future. Dear 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 future. I'm ready. This is dear future. I'm ready. Dear future. I'm ready. Dear future, I'm John Maida, and I'm ready because I finished the design and tech report, and it's shipped, and I can now relax a little bit. Dear future, I'm ready is a podcast brought to you by Digital Society School from Amsterdam. We dare you to join us in our mission to explore more responsible and sustainable ways to use technology for the benefit of society by using design and social innovation to reach the sustainable development goals by 2030. So for this episode of Dear Future I'm Ready, Digital Society School visited South by Southwest in Austin, where really strikingly, the themes that are very near to our hearts, such as ethical design, responsible innovation, meaningful technology, and privacy versus ownership have really become more important and more prominent themes than in previous editions. My name is Marco van Hout, I'm co-founder of Digital Society School, and I will be your host for today. I caught up with design and tech guru John Maida to talk about his famous and highly anticipated design and tech report. We talked about how design and tech can use the right tools and methods, have the right mindset and catch up to have positive impact on the sustainable development goals and the planet and society in general. And how can designers and design change? So I met John in the lobby of the Marriott Hotel in Austin just after he officially launched his design and tech report with the keynote presentation at South by Southwest. This year, the report has stirred some real controversy within the design community, as one of his main conclusions was that design wasn't that important after all. Here, listen to a couple of sound bites from his keynote that refer to this. Design as a word is confusing. Like, I'm a designer, what does that mean in a company? It means too many things. So last year I introduced this uh, five-prong uh, 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 sort of like categorization of how I approach design at Automatic. I look at it as five pieces. One is culture, one is talent, one is leaders, one is systems, and one is ops. I believe in design as a, a great supporting thing. If you think about the Oscars, there's always the best leading actor, best leading actress. Uh, I aspire for design to be the best supporting actor, supporting actress because that's not a bad thing. So this may be the case in the context of corporate excellence or product development, but we think that design and designers have a very important role to play in fixing the urgent challenges that we face on our planet and in our society. In the next 12 minutes, listen to how I asked John about his report in the light of sustainability, change and cross-cultural collaboration and responsibility. Looking at your report, you touch upon some really interesting uh, topics that relate to this podcast because this podcast is really about combining design, technology and social innovation, all for the sustainable development goals. So our school is completely focused on having impact on those goals and combining all of these different disciplines. If you look at your report and all the things that you discovered, how would you say, uh, if you have to talk us through that, the most interesting points from your report that have impact on those goals? Well, I'm, 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 I'm laughing because I, I'm really curious about what your organization does around sustainability goals in the context of design and technology, because 
one of the criticisms online now by my report is there's nothing about the environment. So I'm like, huh. And so my response was, okay, well, I'll look at that for 2020. The response is, you have to do it now because every year, you know, the polar ice caps are melting. And so I'm like, huh. Um, I mean, I, like five years ago, I came in contact with the circular economy at the World Economic Forum. So I'm curious, I've been curious about this space, but I want, I'm really curious what do you do to meet your goal? One of the things that we do uh, especially is to try to, of course, these global uh, goals are huge. And uh, if you say no poverty or fix the climate problems that we have, uh, they are very big. So what we do is to try to make them hyper-local use design methodology to actually get communities together so that they use the same vocabulary, the same methodology, and then scale it up again in a larger learning community that we uh, set up together with the United Nations Development Program around the Global Goals Jam and a program that we have is called Design Across Cultures. This is one of the things that we focus mostly on because we believe that if you have to tackle these global issues, you have to think across the borders. And this is actually the hardest part for designers to tackle. They are not so used to get out of their silos and work together alone in their city, but even across borders and across cultures, it's a huge challenge. What I specifically liked in your report is that you focus uh, on the computational design and inclusive design part. And I think that that resonates with that part, I think, of trying to look at things from a systemic point of view and perhaps even from a cross-cultural point of view. Uh, how would you respond to that? Well, I like how you framed it hyper-local but across borders, but you start hyper-local. You can't start across borders because you don't understand yourself. And if you understand that, you have a better chance at global, cooperative, collaborative work. You know, on the one hand, computational design is about global scale. But there's nothing to do with hyperlocalism at all. So by thinking about inclusion, it makes you, it forces you to think about issues around you, yourself, and people who are unlike you, even geographically. So I guess it's kind of similar in that it's trying to just build a not a common vocabulary or a shared vocabulary, an inclusive vocabulary of curiosity. Now, I wish you could tell my detractors online that I am solving the environment that way, but I don't know if I can do that. I'll do my best for you. <laughs> so um, how can we then, if we have this inclusive vocabulary, that means that everybody can use it, everybody can be part of that. How, how would we need to approach it that so that we involve everybody because there's been a few talks that we have visited here at South by that talked about you know the, the, the divide between the, the privileged designers uh, in our own community and the people that actually need to think along with it because do we really understand those people uh, so that's of course the basic promise of doing things inclusively you know another piece of criticism I'm getting is that I'm not talking about commercialism and design and like you know whether luxury goods are good for the world, not just even good for the earth. And it's called the design and tech report, so it doesn't actually cover everything in the universe. But I think that design as a category has always been about serving wealthy people. And if you don't understand that, you're living in a different universe. Uh, design was used by royalty to differentiate between us, the important people, and you, the less important people, through creating scarcity. 
And I think years later, we ask, why is, why is design like that? It's because that's how it started. Now, how can it change? It can change only if it can do design this new way and think about profitability. Meaning that if you only lose money doing this other way, you're not gonna, no one's gonna listen to you. Like no one wants to hang out with you if you need something. If you do it in a way where you break even, that's actually quite fine. That's perfect. If you do it in a way where you make too much money, you can always take the excess money and give it to something else. So you have to ask how will this become profitable, not for yourself, your greedy self, uh, to use it, to use capital to affect action at scale, which I think for creative people is hard because creative people are taught that money is evil, business is evil, all these things are evil, so I'm gonna go back and make. And I think that narrative lives in all the universities, colleges, you know, starve. You should starve. If you starve, that means you are being faithful to your craft. This narrative is not very effective because if you cannot eat, you cannot think. Of course, you also have the other end of that medallion that, you know, some of them are, are only focused on, on getting the profit. So what's the, what's the middle way, you think? And, and how should we... We had just had Steven Anderson talking about mindset, that it's all about mindset for designers and that there's value there, right? And so how, how should we work across our discipline or with other disciplines to actually become more aware, not only aware of the, of the, the value of our, what we do, but also to actually uh, have that impact and really get it out there. I, you know, I, my, I, I worked in venture capital and I'm a believer that capital achieves change. Whether that's good change or bad change depends upon the team and the investors. So I think for more designers to recognize that there is a spectrum of bad, and good and to find the way in that is really important um so translating back to specific tools and methods i don't know if you have already thought about that if you look at of course these are trends these are things that are happening these are necessities that we see in the design field and in the tech field um, but if we we are professionals that train people that try to educate people uh, the new talent the next uh, generation what tools and methods should we develop or should we adopt to have impact well i think the a key point i try to convey is the saying by eric shinseki that if you don't like change you're going to not like irrelevance at all so Anything anyone learns right now next year is not going to be good enough. And I think that reality is really important to accept. And if we learn in schools and universities or perhaps in, in, uh, in the professional scene, if you translate that back again to that global community, how should we work together across nations or cities or cultures to really get to there, that point? Well, this is why you have this business you have, and I don't do that business because I have no idea. You know, you made me think about, like, imagine the way that industrial designers would make, like, we're looking at this, like, uh, recording device or this microphone. You know, they might use a pencil 
the draft of the whole thing and they would like you know use like a, a knife to kind of sharpen the, the thing and it was great and then imagine one day this salesperson comes around with this thing called a a rotoring pen you know it's like what is this like this is blasphemy you have to do it the right way you have to do it this way you have to grind the you know to grind the the point and that's how you make a fine line you hold your hand in a special way you know but no this rotoring pen is like amazing it draws almost a perfect line with no effort i can imagine that took like at least three to five years for it to acclimate i'm sure there were people who said no 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 we don't do it that way and i think those changes were big and seemingly hard i think those changes in the technology world happen like every week or every other day like someone makes a new way to do things. And it's so easy to be, to be dismissive and say, oh, no, that, that way is never going to catch on. But in this new day and age, we have to try it. That's why I'm so tired. I keep trying new things, downloading new things, installing new things. Do I like doing that? Heck no. I am tired of it. I look at you. You're tired. Aren't you tired? It's tiring. It's so tiring. Like, I got to do it. And he's like, no, maybe this time this is going to be that way forever. But he's like, no, no, no. I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta catch up. That's what today is all about, catching up. That's a good point. So if you look at your reports, uh, so they evolved. Uh, you're doing now for four years, five years? Fifth year is this. So um, in, in those five years, how are you as a professional or as a person growing along with your reports? Oh, well, I think it's evident in how the report has changed. And I think that the reason why I make it is really just for myself. It's my art project. I don't uh, profit off of it. It's just my passion project. It's my weekend side project. And when I do it, I get to see the gestalt of the world that I've been collecting over the year. And it's on the average useful to someone. It's on the average useless to someone. And people who have seen it change over time, I'm sure you can see that I've changed. Obviously, it's uh, it's growing as well in, in uh, visibility. I mean, um, you see that it's becoming a real huge success in, in terms of, I mean, people really live to, to it, um, towards it, uh, the moment where you launch it. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how would you say, what leads to that success, you think, then? Why are people so interested now in, the, in these reports? I don't know if anyone's interested in the report. I just do it for my own thing. I think that, It's nice to see when people are curious about it. It's nice to see when people are critical of it, too. I don't think there is something similar to it, but you know, the world can change. Like, um, just tomorrow, someone in Amsterdam can like look at my report and say, this is crap, I can make a better report. And then next year, I'm gone. Hopefully not. You want some uh, final remarks for our listeners because that's the new the new generation of design, tech, and social innovators that are hungry not only for your report but also for knowing uh, where to go. I mean, they're they're still saying, "Dear future, I'm ready." Then I'm probably a bad person to end with. I believe that we're all expendable, and when you think about it that way, it gets really easy. So, going back to my report, I do it until it's useless for others and for myself. And if we all accept that, our future will be interesting because we won't expect it to be done. Uh, my future is not done yet. 
I am trying to figure it out. Thanks so much, John. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with John Maida as much as I did. And of course, please join us next time for another episode of Dear Future, I'm Ready.